that he says that we can do. And we're going to begin to really pray for each other so that when attacks come, when people that you care about talk about you, when people say things about you, that you're prepared. Because at the end of the day, if somebody you don't know talk about you, you don't care about that. It's when the people close to you say things about you. That Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and so we're going we're gonna to pray that as God begins to elevate us, because hear me, Fellowship of Champions is not the only church that God desires to see the people prosper. But somebody got to be first. Somebody got to be willing to say, you know what, I'll jump on out here. I'll get burnt on up. I'll, I'll endure being talked about. I'll look like a fool. I'll say the crazy stuff on my Facebook and my Twitter page. I'll do it. Because when faith is preached, other people connect to it, and then they begin to see it in their life. Amen? So today we're going to talk about redeemed from poverty. Say, I am redeemed from poverty. All right, let's go to Galatians 3. Now, what I need you to do is I need you to get excited about the Word, so I need everybody to shout hallelujah. Hallelujah! See, because faith can only take place, it's got to be some expectancy. you got to have some expectation that God desires to do something in your life right now. So you got to begin to stir yourself up on the inside with anticipation and excitement that right now this word you're hearing is going to go so deep in your heart and you're never going to be the same again. I don't know what y'all are doing to the mics back there, but y'all cool. All right. So Galatians 3. Let's look at Galatians 3. Let's get in this word. Shout hallelujah. Shout I'm ready to receive. Galatians 3 verse 13. It says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Go to verse 29. It says, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Turn me up just a little bit in the monitors. It says, so if you go back to Galatians 3, it tells us this. It says, you're redeemed from the curse. It says that I am redeemed from the curse. You are redeemed from the curse. Every believer that ever has lived has been redeemed from the curse. Every believer that ever will live has been redeemed from the curse. We are redeemed from the curse. And then it says, and if we, we this redemption of the curse allows us to operate in the same blessing that Abraham operated in. We have that same blessing available and on our lives. And then in verse 29, it says, and then if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, look at what he said. He says, if you go back and you look through the Bible, you can see that the blessing always followed the Jewish people. That the blessing was always on them. Whenever It says that the blessing was with Joseph. And when Joseph, even in poverty, even being in prison, he could not stay bound because the blessing was on him. And it says that now if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, which means that the same blessing that was on Isaac is the blessing that rests on you. Shout, I'm blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, look at this. Let's see what it means to be redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? Redeemed, to redeem something, means to pay a price to recover from the power of another. So it says that we are redeemed. So Jesus paid the price for us to be recovered from the power of another. Who was the person? Who did he pay the price for us to be redeemed from? Y'all awake this morning? Satan. He says, 
He paid the price for us to be redeemed. Shout, I'm redeemed. So the price has already been paid to get you out of sin, to get you out of sickness, to get you out of depression, and to get you out of poverty. That price has already been paid. Hallelujah. All right. You need to understand what is the curse. What is the curse? The curse is a lifestyle of death, destruction, and poverty. That's all the curse is. It's a lifestyle of death destruction and poverty well what's the blessing the blessing is an empowerment to succeed it is an empowerment to overcome it is an empowerment to live above the world it is an empowerment to be successful even when it looks like you don't have the ability to be successful you are empowered to prosper say i'm empowered to prosper hallelujah Now, let's look at Colossians 3 and 13. Mm. Colossians 1, I'm sorry. Colossians 1 and 13. Start with verse 12. Colossians 1. It says, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet. That word meet means able. He has made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of life. Now, we just read that this inheritance is the blessing that was on Abraham. It says, so we thank God for making us able to be partakers, to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So as a believer, when we accept Jesus, we are translated out of something, but we are also translated into something. We are translated out of darkness and we are translated into light. Well, let me ask you a question. Is poverty located in darkness or in light? So if you are Abraham's seed and you belong to Christ, should poverty be operating in your life? Well, ask your neighbor, so say then why does it? And in reality, it it operates in our lives because we don't know the power that it comes to being saved. We've been taught that salvation is about going to heaven. But going to heaven is the final step of salvation. The word salvation is the word soteria, which means wholeness. It means health. It means healing. It means completeness. It means whole relationships. It means your family being saved. So when he says that Jesus came and we might have life, if he had just meant Jesus came so we could go to heaven, don't you think that's what he'd have said? He didn't just say Jesus came so we could go to heaven. Hear me and hear me good. If the only purpose of Jesus coming was for you to go to heaven, the moment you got saved, you could have dropped dead and been out of here. The purpose of Jesus coming was not just to send you to heaven, but to show you that a man had the ability to establish heaven in the earth if he knew who he was. And in reality, poverty operates in our lives because we don't know who we are. And because we don't know who we are, we tolerate it. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm through tolerating poverty. Go to 2 Corinthians 8. 
Hallelujah. You got to make a decision that you're done. And you got to understand that when you make this decision, there's a scripture. We probably won't get to it today. But it says that when you choose to believe God, your whole faith life is put on display. The devil does everything he can to put you on the stage to see if you're really going to stand for debt freedom, to see if you're really going to stand and believe that you can buy a car debt free, to really believe that you can sow a car, to really believe that you can have more than enough. He says that he calls you out in the street like an old western. He says, we go meet at sundown and I'm going to see if you really believe what you say you believe. I'm going to put pressure on you and I'm going to See what you gonna do with that pressure. He said, but you don't understand that when you get on the stage, all of heaven is backing you. And if you just wouldn't cave in and quit, you would see the end of your salvation. But you gotta have an expectation. The saints tolerate too much stuff. You tolerate too much stuff. You tolerate going to work every day at a job you hate. Not only do you hate it, but it ain't even enough to pay the bills. And you tolerate it because ain't nobody preaching to you that God is not in a recession. Heaven is not in a recession. Angels didn't get pink slips. Ain't nobody laid off in heaven. Ain't nobody foreclosed on in heaven. Heaven is expanding. Heaven is moving. Heaven is increasing. And the only reason that you aren't is because you're living according to the world. So you got to shake yourself up and say, look, enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being broke. Anybody in this room got a dream? Ray, hand me one of those tires. Anybody got a dream? If you got a dream, let me see your hand. In reality, your dream is still a dream, not because you lack vision, but because you ain't got no money. That's why you dream. That's what happened. You go, oh, we should go on vacation. Oh, where would you like to go? Well, I'd like to go to Hawaii. But my money just told me we can only go to Hot Springs. And we can't stay but one night. And we can't even stay in the best place when we go. Because your money talking to you. See, what you don't understand is that the whole earth is speaking. That's why Jesus said to the fig tree, the Bible says Jesus said to the fig tree. In one translation, it said Jesus heard the fig tree, and then Jesus said something back. Jesus said, ain't no way in the world I'm going to be hungry and you ain't going to have no fruit. You Since you didn't produce no fruit this time, you won't produce none ever. We done with you. Won't nobody else ever come up to this tree and get set up thinking that it's supposed to be fruit and it wasn't no fruit. You didn't want to perform. You didn't want to do what it is that you wanted to do. You up out of here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. We're going to keep talking about how this money talks to you. Because I told you, see, prosperity, when you really get talking prosperity, it makes you uncomfortable. See, because you sit in here and the Lord say, the Lord say, I need you to sow $100. Or turn to the lady beside you and give $100. You go, I, I need my $100. Your money talking to you. Now, what you say is God, God is my source and God run me. But really, your money run you. Your money tell you what you go do. Your money go tell you where you go eat today if something don't change in your life. Your money tell you where you live. You live where your money told you you could live. 
You wear what your money told you you could wear. You drive in what your money said you could drive. But it's only happening because you don't know who you are. Because if you knew where you, who you were, then you tell your money what it was going to do. And when it wasn't enough money, you'd reach out and call into the heavens and use word to create whatever it is that you needed to create so that you could meet your needs and be a distribution center. I'm just going to expose this. I'm going to tell this. I'm going to put this all the way out here. One of the biggest problems with prosperity is that when we start talking about prosperity, we have to add this point. I want to be blessed so I can be a blessing. That's good. But God doesn't just bless you so you can give everything that you have away. No, no, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. I buy my kids toys. I don't care if they share, but I do not expect them to take every toy I give them and give them to the neighborhood kids. I buy them some stuff for them. And you got to lose this thing in your mind that if you increase, that every dime of your increase has to go to some cause, you a cause too. A wise man leaves an inheritance in here. No, no, I'm not talking about being selfish. I'm not saying be selfish. You can't even get God's prosperity being selfish. I'm saying you don't have to have this old false humility attitude that makes you feel guilty every time you increase in a little bit, in a little bit. And in, in reality, here's the reason some of you, your increase stopped. Some of your increase stopped because you couldn't take your emotions out of your giving. Now, now I'm going to preach this. We're going to deal with this. Now, the Bible says when you have a, a need, what do you do? You sow a seed. So here you are, you ain't got nothing. You start sowing your seeds and confessing the word. Harvest start coming to you. You keep sowing your seed and confessing your need. Harvest keep coming to you. Now somebody in your family come up and they start talking to you about how they ain't got no money. Now your emotions make you obligated to give to them when they're not doing Now wait a minute, I'm not saying you shouldn't help people, but let me show you how it really works, okay? I'm over here, I'm sowing, I'm sowing, I'm sowing. It's times I don't go on vacation because I'm sowing, I'm sowing, I'm sowing. I'm confessing, I'm giving. I'm looking to be a blessing. I'm doing everything I can that God is telling me to do. He told me to go back to school. So I'm in school, I'm sowing, I'm confessing. I'm doing what he told me to do. Shanita, she my sister, she come in, she like, well, I need some, I need the money for my life bill. All right, Shanita, I'm going to help you. But what you need to do is you need to know. That God didn't intend for you to have to ask me for money. Now, what God wants you to do is to get in the Word and learn how to live by faith. Okay, okay, okay. Just help me this one time. All right, Shanita, I'm going to help you this one time. I done paid your bill now. Shanita, you want to go to church with me tonight? Girl, no, I'm going to casino. I'm watching a movie. You already know now not to do it no more. But you allow your emotional ties and the fact that you don't want people to say you think you better than they are. And then you're like, I don't understand why I'm broke. God said, because you now wasting your seeds. You we, we, help. Let me help you. When it comes to whether you're going to help somebody, I'm not talking about whether somebody's hungry. Somebody hungry, give them some food. 
But I'm talking about if you're talking about whether you're going to pay somebody rent. Understand this. If I can't pay my rent, I can't pay my rent because I didn't listen to God. Now, I, y'all, I, get mad. I'm going to tell you. There is a blessing on being a tither. Why in the world would I take my harvest and sow it into your tithe stealing behind and then expect the harvest off of it? You don't tithe and you don't have no money. Now, you want to make me feel bad because I do tithe and I do have money and I'm going to be so emotionally bound to you that I'm going to give away my prosperity. Why is this so important? Because in order to increase, i got to be able to manage what God is putting in my hand. i got to know that for the rest of my life, every time I increase, somebody going to have a need. And if I'm always emotionally responding instead of responding to the Holy Spirit, then I end up in a place where I don't have nothing because my disobedience cuts it off. Now I'm still sowing, I'm still confessing, I'm still tithing, but ain't nothing coming in. And then I say it don't work. No, it worked. What didn't work was my hearing. Amen. Second Corinthians 8. It says, for you know the grace of God. Now listen to what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord. In other words, he says, I'm about to show you how the grace of God was put on display. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something you don't deserve. He says, look at how the unmerited favor of God is put on display that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became so that through his, you might be. He says, now, this is the grace of God on display. The grace of God on display is that he was rich and you were poor. He then makes an exchange, takes your poverty to give you his riches. That is the grace of God, that he became poor so that you might be rich. He made the exchange because the curse is poverty. He became poverty so that you could become abundantly supplied. You're like, God help me. He's like, baby, I done did everything I can do. He said, I've already made you rich. Now you got to believe it. Let's talk about what poverty is. Because the hard thing is, is that lots of times people can't admit that they're impoverished. But we just go, we go break it all the way down this morning, all right? Poverty is the condition of being destitute of riches and abundance. Poverty is the condition of being destitute of riches and abundance. I'm going to ask you some questions. I don't want you to raise your hand. Just want you to think about it. What happens in your family if you don't get paid for a week? What happens in your family if you don't get paid for two weeks? What happens in your family if you don't get paid for a month? What happens in your family if you don't get paid for three months? What happens in your family if you don't get paid for six months? What happens in your family if you don't get paid for a year? What happens in your family if you don't get paid for two years? Now, in reality, most of you was at a homeless shelter living with somebody at six months. That is poverty, to be destitute of abundance. I'm not trying to make you mad. 
I'm trying to help you see where you are so you can know that you're living too low. Tell your neighbor, say, you're living way too low. You're living way too low. You're living way too low. You're living way, 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 way too low. you way under the scope. You are way underneath where God has created you to live. What am I trying to do? Do you really want to know what I'm trying to do right now? I'm trying to make you mad. I'm trying to make you mad enough to stop laying down in poverty when God has called you rich. I am on purpose insulting that little $2,000 you got in the bank. I am insulting it. It ain't nothing. Ain't nothing you can do with it. I am insulting you because I want you to say, if God has created me to live differently than I'm living, why in the world would I lay down here and live? I'm stretching you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. To be rich is to be fully supplied. God never intended for you or I to live off of our job. He always intended for us to live off of our seed. He always intended for you to live off of your seed. Why? Because seed produces faster than ours. He always intended for you to live in a situation where if your boss fired you, if your company shut down, if they told you to move but God told you to stay, you were never messed up about that. He always caused you to live with God as your source. He caused you to live going to a job knowing that you are only there because God needs you there. And the moment that God don't need you there, you out. He never called you to sell your soul for retirement benefits that wouldn't be enough for you to live off of, that you still got to go and be a greeter at Walmart at 75 years old. He called you to live off heaven's resources. But if you're not transformed by your thinking, if every time you come to church, you hear the same message that you do in the world, cut back. Let me tell you something. Any preacher who preaching cut back, it ain't from God. God is not a cut back God. God is an increased God. He is an ever increasing God. Even in famine, God increases. Go back and look at Isaac in Genesis 26. It says that he told Isaac when everybody else won sowing, he said, so son and watch what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to give you a hundredfold blessing in the same year when everybody else is cutting back the church ought to be advancing hear me prosperity is so above the way most of us think i know we got all these good little christian counselors and what they tell you is that if you tithe and then you really can't afford to tithe get five percent ain't scriptural may get you out of debt won't get you in the blessing They tell you, you know what, if you, you know, what you could do is you and your husband, y'all could share a car. Great, except y'all work in two different cities. Cut off your cable. Don't eat out but once a month. That's cutback theology. God says you got a need you don't like where you live, so. You ain't got enough, so. 
Go to Genesis 12. Uh-uh. Romans 12. Shout, I'm blessed. We're coming up out this place of poverty. We don't, listen, we don't need churches where ain't nobody blessed but the pastor. The Bible says that the lesser is blessed by the greater. So if Pastor Ellen and I are called to speak over your life, when we say that you ought to be making $40,000 a year at a minimum, and twice that if you're good at what you do, you ought to be saying, I don't care what the world say, heaven gave me a word, and come on in, 40, come on in, 80, I'm not living right here. I got to be transformed by my thinking. Woo, Jesus. I got to be transformed by my thinking. Romans 12, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only thing that the Bible talks about more than money is love. Pull the scriptures up. Money was so important to God because he knew money would be so important to you that he talked about it over and over and over and over again. And the only thing he ever tells you about money is don't love it. That's the only thing that's even a warning about money is don't love it. Because money is a bad God, but a great resource. Bad God, but a great resource. And so you need to be challenged because I've been challenged like this before. You say money isn't your God, but who dictates most of your decisions? God or your money? See, what we do is we read the Old Testament, and what we think is that because we don't have a shrine called money and a golden calf, then money's not our God. But if money run your life, if money dictate what it is, if, if God told you today, to go to Memphis and minister to these people, and you say you can't go because you got to work, money your God. Be not conformed to this world, the curse, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove So you can have it established as a fact in your own life, the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, which is the blessing. Okay, let me help you. Everything that gets irritated when somebody talks to you like that is religion. Everything that gets aggravated, it ain't even the world, because even the world gets you should be rich. Even the world gets it to you. It's religion that makes you uncomfortable with wealth. Because the enemy knows that if the saints have money, they're going to advance the kingdom. So he keeps you praying 27 years for a building fund. The people who initially started the building fund don't went home to glory and ain't never seen the building. And it happens because of a religious mindset that says that if you have money, you aren't godly. Solomon said to God, first of all, he brings an offering. He had a need, so he sold a seed. He comes to to God with an offering. God says, what do you want? 
He says, give me wisdom. God says, great. Because you asked for, you could ask for victories, you could have asked for all this, but since you asked for wisdom to lead my people, I'm going to make you the richest man ever. Now, if indeed being rich is a sin, then God aided and abetted Solomon into sin. But the Bible says, let no man say that when he is tempted with evil, that he is tempted from God. Come on, you got to think. You got to be a critical thinker if you go be in the kingdom. You can't just buy into what other people tell you and don't take the time to look it up in the Bible and know whether it's true or not. Just because somebody pulls out some, one of the biggest lying scriptures it is, is that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. If you read the scripture, that's not what it says. It says it's the love of money. It's the wrong relationship with money. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to be transformed. All right, go to Genesis 12. We're going to talk about how to get transformed. My God, this good. Come on. Come on. Say, I'm accelerating. Say, I'm through with poverty. And I want you to hear me. I don't care if you're 12 years old sitting in here. I don't care if you're 5 years old sitting in here. If you will get this word, God will bless you. God will increase you. If you will sow your seed, God will increase you. God will give you business ideas. God will have people walk up to your life and sow money. God will give you favor and preferential treatment. So I don't care where you are right now. You don't have to blame your parents. You don't have to blame your spouse. If you marry, it ain't nobody. You can get your own blessing. There is a blessing with your name on it, regardless to whoever else you tied up with. But you got to go get it. Genesis 12. Think about this. If Pastor Ellen can stop Pastor Sean from being blessed, then now Pastor Ellen bigger than God. And instead of worshiping God, I should worship, worship Pastor Ellen. But that ain't going to happen because I already know who bigger. Pastor Ellen can't stop Pastor Sean from being blessed. Rod can't stop Shanita from being blessed. Shanita can't stop Rod from being blessed. Can't nobody stop you from being blessed but you. You got to buy into somebody else's lie. But just like you bought in, you can buy out. You say, you know what, I'm going to give you all this back. This this is how we transform our thinking. This is what God said to Abraham. He says, now look, and now the Lord has said to Abraham, he says, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. Now look at what he's saying to him here. He's saying to him, he says, get away from people who think, act, and live according to the curse. And I'm going to show you where the blessing operates. I'm going to take you to a land where the blessing is in operation. Get away from people who are limited by their paycheck. Get away from people who don't believe that God is a God of increase. Get away from people who think it takes 30 years to pay off a mortgage. Get away from people who think credit score is bigger than the provision of God. He says, get away from those people and let me take you to a land where the blessing operates. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, because that's the same blessing that's on your life. Wait a minute, before you go there. He says, and I will make of thee, if you could do this, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will empower you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. He says, if you do it my way, he says, what I want to do is, here's what you need to know. Right now, today, this day, at 12, 10, You have the ability to determine 
that your family, that generational poverty ended today with your family. You have the ability to say right now, so that 40 years from now at a family reunion, your grandkids can be saying, we sure thank God that Big Mama thought enough of us to get the blessing and operation in her life. We went to college debt free. We had a car when we were 16. We was giving away tens and thousands of dollars when we were just teenagers because Big Mama and Papa was willing to do the work so that we could walk in the blessing. The poverty that you live under now is generational. It is generational poverty. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're an African-American or you happen to be a non-African-American who came from a line of people that were sharecroppers, it is deep-seated generational poverty. And the only thing that's going to dig that up is the word of God. you got to let the word of God tear down every limiting, poverty-stricken thing that you think in your life until you look like what God said. And you got to have a doggone in this attitude that says, I don't care. Here's the thing you should understand. Let's say you decide today you're not going to live in poverty no more. Let's say it take you 20 years to get out. Once you out, you out. Let's say it take you 20 years digging in the word day after day after day to tear down that image. Once you out, you out. And in that 20 years, your whole world being reframed. Your kids' worlds being reframed. Your expectations being reframed. And then now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, you got the line of Edwin and Sean Strickland that says, hey, we don't deal with poverty. You can go back and look. There's a law. It's one of them scientific laws. It says that an object, once it gets in motion, it stays in motion until acted upon by a, 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 a great external force. So generational poverty is going to keep rolling on down through your bloodline until you put it with a greater force called the word of God. It's just going to keep on rolling until you go, wait, uh uh-uh, no more. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The poverty, you up out of here. And if you don't do it, you're leaving the burden on whoever's going to come after you next to take the responsibility. I was telling them this. I'm just going to lighten it up a little bit. I was telling them this in Bible study on Thursday. I said, you know, because Bible study in, in Northwest Arkansas is very diverse. There are actually more non-black people there than there are black people. And I said, I just want to tell you all something. I said, because I don't know if all black people know this. I mean, white people know this or Asian or whatever you are. But, you know, in in African-American community, we can hold a body for seven to ten days. And most of the time we need to. We need to. Most of the time we need to hold that body for seven to ten days. Especially if you die and we didn't expect you to die. We ain't got no money to come from Detroit, so we got to wait till Friday. You can't have a funeral on Friday because we got to wait till you get paid on Friday so you can drive 12 hours to come down here for the funeral. Now we're going to go in here in front and put you in a line casket when all we really got the money for is a pine box, but we don't want nobody to know that that's all the money that we got. Now we up there asking the funeral home, can y'all just hold the body for a little bit till the barrel come in? Can you just let the barrel come in? Because we ain't got no insurance policy. What we got is some barrel that we 
we done paid somebody $3 a month for for the last 37,000 years and it ain't but $5,000 and the funeral is $8,000. You wonder why we crying? We crying because we want you to get up because we can't afford to bury you. That's why we crying. We like, get up, mama, get up. And now you ain't working. Now we ain't even got your income. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you that the Bible says a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So in reality, if we really understood what we say we believe, first of all, Pastor don't say this all the time. He said, when I go home and be with the Lord, y'all going to have a party. He said, number one, you know I'm going to be with the Lord. He said, when y'all see all that stuff I done left for y'all, y'all going to be like, hey, let's get it on, baby. Let's kick it up in here. He said, y'all going to take y'all a month and recover, and y'all going to get back to the work of the gospel. He said, a month, a month to recover. And then, no, 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 you over there crying at the taking Prozac back to work on Monday because you ain't had no vacation days because you just an hourly employee. Second Corinthians 10. See, that's generational stuff right there. That's generational stuff right there. If you go back and you research it, the only reason that black people started holding the bodies that long is because we didn't have the money to pay the, um, the mortician. Go research it. We didn't have the money. That's why we extended out. It just so happened that our color works for us, so it worked. But the original reason that we did it is because we didn't have the money. That's why you ought to dig in and know why you do what you do. You think you holding the body, get everybody together. No, but it started because there wasn't no money. Let me just ask you a question because I want you to understand. I want you to hate poverty because you'll always deal with what, if you tolerate it, you'll deal with it. How much different would your life have been if when you were 16, your parents could have bought you a car? If your parents could have said to you, look, all I'm asking you to do is love the Lord, make good grades, stay out of trouble. If when you got ready to go to college, your parents said, you ain't got to fill out them papers right there. We don't go in no little room and fill out no papers. Apply, tell me what your bill is. As long as you maintain a 3.0, I'll send you to school. I'll pay for your room and board. All I need you to do is pursue your dream. If when you got married, your parents and his parents got together and said, what kind of house y'all want? What you want your first house to be? Because we'll buy your first house. And then we want to take you in and we want to show you these principles and stuff, how you put things in place for your kids so it becomes something that's a generation thing in our family. Everybody get a car when they're 16. Not a hoopty. Everybody get a car when they're 16. Everybody, you could be the person who starts that for your family. You could be, you could say, all you got to do is say, I'm the one. It's me. If you couldn't do it for your kids, say, that's all right. I'm going to do it for my grandkids. Come on, baby. It ain't over yet. This thing ain't over yet. I got to start somewhere. But if don't nobody never tell you you can live like that, you'll keep on living like you're living. 
10. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Y'all learn anything? You got to be changed by the word. You got to grow up from this thing that you need to come to church for somebody to make you feel good. You want to feel good? Go see a movie. You want to feel good? Get a massage. The purpose of the word is to challenge you to be who God called you to be. You got to be challenged by the word. The word ought to make you uncomfortable. The word ought to constantly be saying to you, you too low. Come up, come up, come up. You ain't even touched it yet. Come on. Second Corinthians 10, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those things I just defined to you, described to you, they are strongholds. A stronghold is a pattern of thinking that dictates your life. It is a pattern of di- thinking. That di- right now, you deal with money. Unless you've had that, po- that prosperity force come in and hit you, you deal with money however you saw money go in and out of your life as a kid. Stop it and mark it. If you had the kind of family that on Friday when people got paid, we was happy, and you could ask for almost anything you wanted to ask for, and we do it, we go out to eat, and we go to Walmart, get a toy, get a little ice cream before we go home. And then, but the day before payday, you better not ask for nothing. Because if you ask for something, you to get your ear bit off up in here. Talking about, where do you, what do you think, money grow on trees? You think money, you think we got a tree in the backyard with some money on it? You think we got a tree with some backyard? Do I look like I'm made out of money? If you're not careful, you'll find yourself doing that same stuff. Even if you're not married, if you grew up with money like that, track it. When you get paid, you think you should get something new. If you grew up and on payday, y'all got to go out to eat, oh, you track it. On payday, you go get something new. If it ain't nothing but some new eyeshadow, you go do it because it's a stronghold that's set up in your mind. He said, but you don't tear them down by going home calling your mama, talking about mama, it's your fault we in poverty. He said, you tear it down with the word. You use the word to push it back. You begin to ask yourself, when you're doing something with money, you begin to ask yourself, why am I doing this? When you walk into Dillard's, where do you walk first? Come on, where do you walk first? Generational, generational, generational. Take your kids in there and they go look at some stuff ain't on clearance. That's why you don't want to take them shopping. That's why most people don't take their kids shopping. Because what their kids go ask for and what they can't afford is two totally different things. Amen. Listen. Your battle to live in the blessing is not natural, even though you see the blessing in the natural. It is a battle in your mind because you have lived in the world and seen the curse in operation. You have to pull down the strongholds that try to convince you that the power, the curse has the power to operate in your life. Remember, you have been purchased out of the curse. You are blessed. Now, look, go to Hebrews 4. We're going to pick it up just a little bit. And then I'm going to teach y'all something. It was so good to me. I had to call Pastor Ellen. I said, all right, look what the Holy Ghost taught me. Proverbs, I'm Hebrews 4. This is what the, the word, tell your neighbor, say the word is the only thing that eradicates poverty. 
You got to let the word do it. Because understand, there are principles that work outside of the word, but they all come from the word. But if you get those principles in motion without God, you still going to live in fear of not having enough. It says, Hebrews 4 and 1, it says, there, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise of being left of entering in his rest should seem, you, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. So when you hear this word that says you're broken free, now you've got to grab hold to it. That's why you say amen in church. Amen means it is so. So when I say you're redeemed, when I say you're the head and not the tail, when I say you're debt free, when I say you're ever increasing, that you got to train yourself. And understand this, when you don't open up your mouth, you link your own self to poverty. Number one, because you're in a service where someone asks you to say amen. The Bible says if you be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. I know you can't obey God. You can't obey me. And you looking at me. I'm looking at you saying, say amen. And you sitting there with your mouth closed. You can't be ready to receive. Well, do it really matter if I... You the one broke. I mean, come on. One of the things is that the other thing about a lot of broke people got a lot of pride. Got a lot of pride. You're broke and you ain't and you got pride. That's a deadly combination. You don't have no money and you won't let nobody teach you what you need to do so that you could have some money. And then you mad at people because they got money. Well, if you keep liking clipping them coupons out the paper that where you have to, you can't go out to eat unless it's a two-for-one special, if you like that, keep doing it. But I'm trying to teach you how to live above your finances. It says, Hebrews, okay, it says, so we've got to mix the word with faith. Go to verse 12. Look at what this word does. Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and of the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He says, look at here, this is what the word does when you begin to say, God is my source. When you begin to say, God is my source, then the word begins to push up to the surface everything in you that doesn't see God as your source. It begins to expose the intents in your heart. It begins to, that's why you got to keep on saying it until that inner image is changed. Now I'm going to teach you something that God taught me yesterday, and it, it is so good. Let's go to James 1, 23 and 25. James 1, 23 and 25. Are we learning anything? Are we being changed? Now somebody just ain't going to be broke no more. Somebody like, I'm done with this. Y'all shouldn't have never told me this right here. Because I would like to talk to you about how you can bless other people, but you can't be a blessing to other people when you can't pay your own light bill. You can't send no missionaries to Africa. You can't get yourself to Little Rock. You ain't got enough gas for that. Come on now. We got to deal with where we are and get the blessing on us. God told Abraham, he said, you will get the blessing, then you will be a blessing. All right, it says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but does the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Go back to verse 22. I want to show you something. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. So I was praying about this, really just talking to the Lord about increase, talking to the Lord. Just be, can I be real with y'all? Talk to the Lord about why is it there times in my life where it seems like I'm living in abundance and there's times in my life that it seems like I'm really struggling. What's going on with that? And the Lord began to talk to me. He says, well, first thing he said to me is he said, whatever you focus on gets magnified. He says, so when you're need conscious, all they can magnify are your needs. He says, but when you're source unconscious, all they can multiply is my provision in your life. He says, so the times in your life where you see my provision is because you were source conscious. And the times in in your life where you see lack, you were need conscious. And so then he took me to the scripture. He says, he says, but if you're a hearer of the word, but not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. And he and he began to talk to me about, has anybody ever seen somebody who says they have self-esteem, high self-esteem, but you can tell by their relationship that they don't? Mm-hmm. The Lord said to me. You can judge your wealth esteem by your bank account. He says your wealth esteem is measured by your bank account. Now let me walk you through this because I thought that was like, aha. Uh-huh. Because when you're looking at somebody and they go, you know, this girl called me one time and she was like, um, I met this guy in prison and we go get married. Do you think I got low self-esteem? I don't have low self-esteem. So what happens is if somebody comes and tells us, they say, you're not seeing God as your source. You don't know. I do see God as my source. That's the reason I ain't gave up a cave and quit. The fact that you have no provision indicates that you don't see God as your source. Now, this is the hard part right here that if you will hang on in here where we can get all the way through this. What you need to understand is that it is not your conscious mind that controls your esteem. It's your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is the part of your mind that operates on autopilot. So you hear word, your natural mind responds to word. Your spirit man responds to word. But your subconscious has barriers. Whatever is in your savings account right now is the barrier that yourself, that your subconscious is comfortable with. However much money, go back and pull your statements. However much money you average in your checking account, that's what your subconscious is comfortable with. You have to understand that your mind is it's actually a good thing. It's supposed to be a good thing. It's only bad under the curse. Your mind is designed that once you get a hold of something, it won't let go of it easily. It's the reason. It's a safety mechanism. It's the reason that now that you know a stove is hot, do you rest your hand on it? Because once your mind understands that, 
your mind won't allow you to do that. But if poverty is what you've been exposed to first, anytime you try to step outside of poverty, your subconscious goes, that's not safe, come back. So literally, if you only are comfortable having $500 in your savings account, I could give you $50,000 today. And in 30 days, you spend it back down to $500. Not me, Pastor Sean, not me. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Anybody in here ever got a raise? Anybody ever got a significant raise? Anybody ever got some money that should have made a difference in your life, but it didn't? Because your subconscious said, you cannot go outside this line. Get your behind back here. Everybody say, ouch. Everybody lay your hand on your head. Say, I'm being changed. Everybody, it's, why we, it's why we talk about even in giving, you got to go to choke level. You start out, you're giving $20. When you first start giving $20, $20 is choke level to you. But it gets to a point that you can give $20 and your subconscious don't even fight you over giving $20. You go to $50, your subconscious is going to go, no, put that money back. Don't get up $20. So you may have to trick your subconscious and get $25 twice. But then you can get up to the point where you can get $1,000. But everybody got a choke level. But if your choke level is low, you stuck in poverty. So your job as a believer is to constantly allow the word to push the borders back, to push the borders back, to push the borders back to expose to you so you start saying all the time god is my source god is my source god is my source then you go into the store and then you watch your wallet talk to you and you go okay i gotta deal with this a little bit more god is my source god is my source you sow a seed you don't get harvest so then what you know the principle works if you sow a seed you should get harvest if you sow a seed you should get harvest. and then you didn't hear me if you sow a seed you should get harvest if you sow a seed you should get harvest if you sow a seed and you don't get a harvest it's not god it's your subconscious your subconscious is making you miss the opportunities for the prosperity to come into your life. So you've got to put yourself in a position so there are two things you have to constantly do to break out of poverty. Here are the two things. Number one, repetition of the word. Repetition of the word. I tell people this all the time. I'm going to help you. If you got cancer in your body, you don't need to be studying end-time prophecy. You don't need to be studying but one thing, healing scriptures. You got to get healing so big on the inside of you that it pushed cancer out. What in the heck do you care about end time prophecy scriptures? What in the world do they have to do with you? If you broke, you need to be on finances. Not people who don't believe in finances. Not people who cutting back. Not the people on TV who say prosperity is wrong and then at the end of the message ask you to send them $20. See, I think if you think that prosperity is wrong, you should be true to your own message. Have your program for free and don't ask us for no money at the end. But you don't really believe prosperity is wrong. What you believe is that it's wrong for me to prosper, not for you to prosper. So I got to have repetition of the word. So I have to find out who is a person who teaches prosperity and operates in integrity. Leave, Leave Red Mike alone. 
Anybody who tell you that you got to pay twenty nine ninety five for a healing cloth, a prayer cloth, some water in a bar that came from Egypt. Mm-mm. No, you need people who are have integrity and belief and have a systematic way of showing you that they have seen it take place in their own life. And then the Bible says, follow after those who through faith and patience have received a promise. If you believe in for a house and you ain't never got a house, you should listen to me and Pastor Edward when we tell you what to do. You know why? We in our second house, on our way to our third house. We started with bad credit. We know how to believe God for a house. But now we trying to learn how to pay a house off. So we listening to the Brazeltons. You know why? Because they done paid a house off. You gotta have repetition. You are if you don't have no money, I, I'm just happy because I told I told somebody yesterday. I said I'm going back old school because this is the kind of stuff I used to say that offend everybody. Mama, just tell you the truth. If you broke and can't pay your bills, you ain't got time for leisure TV. You need to be in that word until that prosperity image get changed. You sitting up there watching three hours of American Idol and two more hours of all of the housewives, and you broke as Joe's turkey. And my grandma say you ain't got a pot or a window either, and you watching TV. You watching TV. You got $20 to buy every CD that come out on Tuesday, and you ain't got a certificate of deposit with $1,000 in it. You got to change your thinking if you want to change your life. You got to say, I'm a giver. I don't care if I ain't got but 50 cents. If I got to bring 50 cents every week, I'm going to put my 50 cents down. I'm going to get the blessing on my life. I'm going to obey God, and I'm coming out of this mess. Because your wealth of sin can be identified by your accounts. So no matter how much I try to tell you I got self, high self-esteem, but I'm walking around with this black eye. You already know everything you need to know about my self-esteem. You already know, or at least the bank already know, everything they need to know about your wealth esteem. When you get them thin little notices in the mail, you know they're not a statement because they thin. They thin. Some banks say yellow. That's your wealth esteem right there. Talking to you. All right. Let me tell you the other thing you need to do, and then I'm going to tell you a story, and we're going to be done. We're doing good, all right? We good? Y'all good? Y'all learning something? Tell your neighbor, say, you're going to have to work this. This ain't one of them one time you hear you high-five somebody, you go so $50, and it's all going to be over. This is work. This is a process. Because if you've been broke all your life, you're not going to hear one message and get free from poverty. You're going to have to dig it up. Stupid, stitch, low-down, stick of poverty by stick of poverty. You're going to have to pull it up out your heart. So repetition. you got to get in the Word. That's what he told Joshua. That's why he told Joshua to meditate on the Word. He told Joshua to meditate on the Word for two reasons. Number one, he said, meditate on the Word I told you. He said, because I need you to see yourself as the leader of the people and not Moses. And if you don't meditate on the Word, you're never going to see yourself. In actuality, you can see that he meditated on the word because Joshua never had near the trouble with the people that Moses did. But if you go back in the beginning, Moses was like, who am I to lead these people? He never really got over that. He didn't meditate to tear that image down. 
why the people almost drove him crazy. So whatever it is that God is calling you to be, you got to meditate on it until you become it. The other thing he said, I need you to see yourself as the leader, and I need to see yourself as equipped to lead these people to victory. He said, meditate. That's what the fear was. The fear wasn't those enemies out there. The fear was, do I have the ability to produce this? That's the fear of wealth. That's your fear of getting, of saying you're going to be rich. Do you have the ability? You know people can be rich. You can look all around. You live in America. You can look all around you and see that people can be rich. The fear is internal. Can you produce it? Then the other thing after repetition, exposure. You got to expose yourself. You have to expose yourself. You ought to always be looking where you want to go. If you live in an apartment, God has promised every believer they should own a house. Every Saturday and Sunday, you ought to be walking through open houses. I don't care if you got to do it 10 years. Every Saturday and Sunday, you ought to be walking through open houses. That's all Jacob did to get those cattle. He put a speckled branch in front of their face so that they saw it when they ate, they saw it when they drank, and they saw it when they lay down, and they began to produce it because it got on the inside of them. What you have around you right now is all you have the ability to produce. You don't have to be mad. You can say, thank you, Jesus, for teaching me that this is all I have the ability to produce. But if I get more word, I can produce more. If you're living in a 1,700-square-foot home and you want to live in a 4,000-square-foot home, you got to look at 4,000-square-foot homes. If you're giving $100 and you want to give $1,000, you got a right practice in the check. Now, tell your neighbor, say, don't give it to nobody. Don't give it to nobody because you go to jail now. I ain't tell you to give nobody no check. But you need to practice. You ought to sit down. Whatever it is you think, you ought to sit down and see yourself. FOC, $10,000. It's the principle of meditation. That's what Captain Sully say he did. That's how he landed that plane in the Hudson. They say, how did you land that plane in the Hudson? He said, all my life I've been meditating landing a plane in the water. I had already done it thousands of times before I had to do it. Before you ever do anything in the natural, you got to see it on the inside. That's how I know people don't accidentally have sex. Now, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. I know you don't accidentally have sex. Come on, boo. You don't accidentally have sex. You meditated up on that. You envisioned what that was going to be like. That's how you got there. Well, if it'll work to get you into evil, it'll work to get you into good. Rep, you got to expose yourself. Tell your neighbor, so you got to expose yourself. If you an hourly employee, you need to find you somebody in, ma- in management to be your mentor. You got to find, you You watch how they dress. You watch how they carry themselves. And you begin to mimic it. The image gets on the inside of you, and then you begin to duplicate it on the outside of you. Me and Pastor Ellen had to go buy a dishwasher the other day, and uh, we went into this store, and I just, I don't, need, I don't need a refrigerator, but I just started looking at refrigerators. And you go and you see stuff, it's so far outside of your 
You know, I went to the first refrigerator and it was like two thousand dollars. Two thousand dollars ain't nothing. I went to the next one and it was five thousand. I was like, oh, what you do with a five thousand dollar refrigerator? Think it come with any food in it? Did it get a coupon or something? And I kept on going. I opened this one refrigerator. It was seventeen thousand one hundred and fifty-four dollars. Seventeen thousand one hundred and fifty-four dollars more than most people first car cost. Seventeen thousand one hundred and fifty-four dollars. It ain't that I want one. Hear me. I don't want one. I just don't want to be choked by it. I don't want to walk into a place and God say, I'll give you that. And I say, that's okay. The $2,000 one, that's okay for me. So you go and you expose yourself. If you're in dealers, okay, let me help you. Let's say you don't shop in dealers yet. You just shop in Target. Well, then the next step up from Target is like Belks or Coles. So you go, even if you can't buy nothing, you see what they got in there. They may, you, they may not have nothing you want. You'll be like, well, I know. Let's move on to the next thing. If you in dealers on the clearance rack, that's okay that you're on the clearance rack. But at least go see what's new. See what the price co- the blouse cost before they put all them yellow stickers on it. See what it started out with when it was still new. You may not be able to afford a new car right now, but go drive it. See what it feels like to drive it. See what it's like to give away more than $20. Start practicing doing it. What will happen is, then what you don't understand is, mm, that's why, take this out of your vocabulary, you should never say you can't afford something. You should never say you can't afford something. If it's something you want, you should ask this question. How could I get this? Because if you say you can't afford it, all the creativity in your brain shuts down. But if you say, how can we afford this? Your creativity begins to open up. It begins to open up. And then you, you could be sitting there and the Lord could say to you, girl, if you had a garage sale with them clothes you ain't wore since 84, um, you could buy that right there. Because you ain't going to never wear them clothes no more. You know you ain't. You holding on to them clothes because you think you're going to be a size six again. You ain't done in all these years. And if you, by the time you get back, it'll be some new clothes anyway. Come on, do something with that stuff. So you, 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 you begin to use your faith to go where it is you want to go. That's why I said write the vision down. All right, so here's what we're going to do. This is the last thing we're going to do. So what's the two things we got to do if we want to tear down poverty? Repetition and exposure. Repetition and exposure. Repetition and exposure. I got to constantly be exposed. See, the problem with most people is that you're the best in your group. That's the problem with most people. You're the best in your group. So you tapped out. You're the best in your group. You, you, you got to be. You, it may be one group where you're the best, but you ought to have another group where you're at the bottom. I love to go shopping with Pastor Cynthia now. I can't afford nothing they can afford. I just like to go and watch. I like to see how somebody can spend $30,000 in clothes and don't even flinch. Just just one swipe. After they gave $50,000 in a service. I, I, I'm, I just I, I like to watch it. I ain't there yet, but I just keep watching. I keep exposing myself. I like to go to to look at the prices of stuff and just be like, ooh, why? All right, let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. 
somebody, you, you, you go in somebody's home. You know, I, you, I remember when me and Pastor Ellen got our first furniture back in 1994. Our whole living room set cost $450. We had a couch, a little seat, a chair, two end tables, coffee table, and two lamps. But when I moved into my first house, we went, they can't go in there. It don't fit there. And when I moved from my 1,700 square foot house to my 4,000 foot house, I went, and they don't go there. Because you got to be exposed. And so you go and you walk through. I'm, hear me. I'm going to listen. The people in this church, you already know about giving. I've watched you empty out your accounts to help people stay in their houses, to give people food, all of those things. I know you giving. I know that right now, even if I'm talking about this, if I say, hey, somebody need their rent paid, you'll give to have it. But what could you do if you had more to give? What if you had more to give? What if you had the ability to help somebody get a car and go on vacation? What if you could send somebody to college and some missionaries and get a new house? All things are possible to those who believe. You're only limited because you've been taught to be limited. All right, last scripture, and we go go. This is Second Kings, um, Second Kings, the fourth chapter. Because I want to teach you what you can expect from God when you get in faith. It says, now they're Second Kings 4. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Shout I'm debt free. I'm free. When you get home, you should look at this scripture, Second Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12. It tells us, it says that eyes haven't seen, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God desires to do for those who love them. There are things that are prepared to you. God ain't against money. God ain't tripping about money. God ain't sitting up on a throne that's broke on three legs, leaning on the side. That ain't who God is. God, it, it's, not, it's not a material possession you could get that compares to anything that will be seen in heaven. Nothing. I mean, come on. If they got Bentley's here, can you imagine what stuff look like in heaven? If you think about the homes on cribs, can you imagine what a house in heaven looks like? The Bible says that the streets are made with gold, not paved with gold. We pave our streets with asphalt. Asphalt. They're not made with asphalt. To be made, it means that from the bottom to the top, it is gold. It says that King Solomon was so rich that they threw their silver outside the city gates for the poor people to come and get it. And then the Bible says that you and I ought to live better than that because under Hebrews 6, we got a new covenant. It's a better covenant. So it includes righteousness and material blessing. Okay, Second Corinthians, I mean, Second Kings, it says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of prophets of Elijah, saying, Thy servant, my son, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. Now look at this, because I want you to understand this. Go back, go back, slow down, slow down, people. It says, he says, You know my husband, and you know my husband feared the Lord. But we still ain't got no money. And the creditor come to take our stuff. It's lots of people like that in the world. Because if you don't know that God cares about your finances, you'll never tap into the provision to have your finances met. Go to the next verse. So let's come take his sons. And Elijah said to her, he said, what shall I do for thee? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, thy handmaid had not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Or, and you know that didn't really happen like that, okay? Come on now. She done come, and she like, 
First of all, she like, you know my husband been following you around all these years. And we don't have no money. And that was all right. But now he dead. And they about to come get my son. Come on now. You got it. You know church people. You one of them. Now, if you think you done gave everything and that, you ain't like, hold on. What's about to go on up in here? And then he says to her, he says, what do you have in your house? She didn't say, I don't have anything. Oh, yeah, I got a pot of oil. She went, I ain't got nothing. And then she kind of thought about it. There was some more exchange that went there, and she went, I have a pot of oil. Because the, the, when God's going to perform a miracle in your house, he always going to start with what you have. What do you have? He, that's what he said the most. He said, take that sickness in your hand. You, you, you got to use what's in your hand. Now, look at what he does to, for her here. He says, go to the next verse. He says, he says, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, not even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Okay, so let's back up. Five things you can expect when you get in faith. The first thing you can expect when you get in faith is a plan of action. This woman went to the man of God. She said, what am I about to do? They come and take everything I got. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. They're about to take my kids. I'm just glad that we don't even live in a society no more where they can take your kids for debt. Most people wouldn't have no kids no more. We're going to visit their kids. But although some people do put their kids in debt because you be getting them credit cards in their name. All right, okay. I just thought I would throw that out there. Some of y'all are the victims of that. You had your first credit card when you was eight. You you had two phones. You went to get your stuff, and you like you like you like they like we we need a thousand dollar deposit because you didn't pay your bill. You said I'm just seventeen. I didn't have a phone back in 1991. All right, so they go take the kids in the debt. So you get a plan of action. He comes and he says, "Here's what you go do. You're gonna take what's in your hand and you go start a business with it." Because that's what she did. She started a business. And then he begins to give her wisdom. He says, go and borrow some vessels and don't just get a few. And then he says, and when thou art coming in, thou shalt shut the door. Now, understand this. When she gets this plan and she begins to operate, so you go get a plan of action, you go get wisdom. The third thing you go get is favor. When in order for her to borrow vessels, she had to have what? She had to have favor. But she wouldn't have known she had favor sitting in her house, would she? She actually had to go, and as she began to go, God began to touch the people's hearts to do what it is that she couldn't do for herself. So we got a plan of action, we got wisdom, we got favor. And then the next one, it says, when you come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out of those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Go to the next verse. So she went in and she shut the door up on her and her son and she brought the, who, who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more and the oil stayed. The fourth thing is she got a miracle. Now, you know she didn't have that much oil. If she'd had that much oil to begin with, she wouldn't have been able to contain it in that one vessel. So when she began to do what God told her to do, and she went as far as she could go, the, as far as she could go was to operate in the wisdom, was to use the plan and to seek the favor, but she couldn't multiply the oil. So then God did what she couldn't do. See, favor typically is what a man will do for you, and a miracle is what God will do for you. So there's always these parts that's going on. Is this making sense to you? And then the last one that you get when you get in favor, I mean, is strength to endure the change come. Now, we don't know how long she poured these bars of oil. 
We don't know how long, but we know this. If she had just poured one, it wouldn't have been enough. If she had just poured two, now go ahead. Now look at what she does, though. Look how smart this woman is. It says, then she came and told a man of God. Before she did anything, she said, I got this business idea. This was done happened. This oil done got filled. Before I do anything else, what you want me to do next? He says, now go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children off of the rest. What you don't understand is that he spoke a prophetic word over her when he sent her out to sell that oil. He didn't know how much debt she had, but he said, however much debt you have, it's enough that it's going to be paid off with this oil, and it's going to be enough for you and your children to live off of the rest. So she went in the strength of that word, and that's what she did, and that's the end of the story right there. So you get a word from God. You need a plan of action. You ain't saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do to get out of debt? Well, what do I know immediately that I can do out of debt? The Bible's already set it forth for us. If we have a need, we sow a seed. So we sow seed toward our debt freedom. We sow to our local church and our tithe and offering. We sow to other people who minister into our life by speak with, with their prosperity anointing. And then we give alms by helping people who are in a worse situation than we are in. We give. Well, Pastor Sean, I don't have enough to give. The Bible promises us this. It says that if you sow, he'll multiply your seed. So if you don't have enough, you haven't been sowing. The Bible says that God is unwilling to do without a quick prompt to do giver who is cheerful in his giving. Which means that you can make yourself indispensable to God with your giving. Now, here's what I want you to know. Wherever you are right now, I don't care if you're out of debt. You still haven't tapped into everything God desires to do in your life. I don't care if you gave away $100,000 last year and you, um, you sent another fifty to Haiti, you still ain't tapped into everything that God wanted you to do. You haven't even, tell your neighbor, say you haven't even scratched the surface yet. But you got to make a decision. I just want to know, is there anybody in here who like, you know what, I'm going to the next level. I'm done with this. Come on. I, I, I need some people who like I'm done. I'm done with po- poverty. I need you up on your feet if you like I'm done with poverty. I, I didn't even know. I'm reestablishing. I need to see my my checking account going up every week because I need to reestablish my wealth esteem. I'm gonna look at my balance with a new eye. My balance tells me what my subconscious thinks that I have the ability to handle. Now here's the deal. We want to get you out of poverty. You know why we want to get you out of poverty? We want to get you out of poverty so that you can live and inherit, leave an inheritance for your children. And we want to get you out of poverty so we can make a difference. Think about it. Forget, you don't even need 500 people. If everybody in this room oh no man nothing but the loving, what could we do? If nobody in this room oh anybody in it, if on January 1st everybody in this room wrote a check to the cable people, the light people, and the water people, and the insurance people and said, don't talk to me till next year, what could you do? But you got to believe that you can live that way. You got to say this prosperity is important to me, it's, in pros- it's important to my seed, and it's, in pro- it's important because I can make a difference. Who wants to be a difference maker? Come on, let's make this compare. You know, here's what we want to do. I want you to turn. I want you to minister to somebody because we're talking about having money. But we're not just talking about having money because Proverbs 10 says that the blessing of the Lord, it'll make you rich without adding any sorrow. And you can look all over this world and see people who got money, but they got a bunch of sorrow. And when you do it God's way, you can have money without the sorrow. 
So, but the step is that you got to accept Jesus because if you remember the first scripture I told you, one of the first scriptures I told you, it said that he, Jesus, became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. So I want you to turn and minister to your neighbor and just say, do you know Jesus? Have you ever accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? You know, maybe if you know the person.